Well, hello, everyone. It's been a, it's been a crazy last few weeks for Brittany and I. Um, we just graduated 17 seniors last night in here, and um, just a lot, yeah, good job them. Um, we, and so we've been very involved with them of late. Um, we went on trips with them. They do their senior trip every year. And so Brittany and I went river rafting about three weeks ago. Uh, while Pastor Mike was teaching for you guys a couple weeks, I, we were out um, trying not to be killed by seniors and water and rock climbing and all kinds of things. Um, it, it's been it's been like an emotional ride. It's been a tiring ride. It's been crazy and good. Um, and at the end, it's just like ah, proud of all of them. They're gone. All right, so here we are. And <laughs> and the trip was um, it was enlightening. There was this moment. So we had the seniors, and Brittany and I are in, in one raft, and some of the seniors in the raft with us, river rafting raft, and some others are on another raft, and we're up in Sacramento area, where there's the American River, and we have guides in each raft, and they're showing us, obviously, how to navigate down the river, because if you do this by yourself, you're going to get stuck on a rock, and then this boat's going to get suctioned to the rock, and then you're going to have to cut it open and deflate it just to get it off, and it's never fun that way. So we have guides with us, and they're telling us all these, like, baloney stories as we go, that rock is a petrified gorilla, and so forth. And um, as, as we're going, uh, it's just fun, because, like, you, you start to learn the river. You start to see the current, and you see the eddies, the little places where the water kind of slows and stirs and stills. And um, you're learning when to row and how to listen to the commands of rowing and rowing together as a team and feeling the hot sun bake on you and then the ice cold water that takes your breath away splash on you. And then there's this point where our guide in our raft let those who wanted to take turns navigating the raft through a rapid, which was really fun and cool. And so I had my turn. I was the first because no one else wanted to be the first, I guess. And I went, um, he taught me some of the strokes you do to kind of guide the raft. And then you're like, you got to tell your paddlers to paddle and, and whatever. And um, so he pointed out, what you want to do is you want to keep the front of the boat aimed at the current. Now, the current, you can see the current in the river because the waters come together and it sort of forms a V shape. And that's kind of what you want to stay in the middle of. You don't want to get in the eddies because then you're going to make everybody row extra hard. And um, there's this rule of thumb where uh, avoid rocks and paddle fast in the slow and slow in the fast. So when you're in a slow part, you got to paddle faster. When you're in a fast part, you let the current do the work and you paddle slower. And so you're, you're like getting all these things together and, you know, successfully lead us through one rapid and done. Like, yay, that was awesome. But there, there's some lessons that um, one can see there. And that's that the current of the river does all the work, most of the work. The people in the raft are only paddling when you need to um, steer away from a rock or it's a really slow part and you got to kind of just gain some speed. And you're looking for that current. You're trying to stay in that current. Because the eddies are no fun. The rocks can hurt. There was one time when we were allowed to jump off the raft and just let the current take us down the rapids because it was a semi-safe rapid. And um, 
So I'm on the left side of the raft in the front. Brittany's on the right side in the front. And then we have two students behind us. And so I'm on the left side. And he says, this is the time you jump. You're going to go, you're going to go now, 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 go jump. And so we, we all jump off. But what happens is my side goes first and it pushes the raft over a little bit and then Brittany's side goes in. And what happened is in that little displacement, my side fell into an eddy, her side fell into the current. And they were swept all the way down and having a good time. And me and this other student were way back here. The raft is going away from us. And the guy's in the boat yelling, swim, swim, swim. And I've got my helmet falling into my eyes. And I'm like, "Ah, I'm trying to like get caught up with the boat. All that to say, the eddy's a very bad place because you don't move there. You get stuck. The current is where the action is at. And I've come to see that in life, like a river, God has a certain flow in his universe. Things move a certain way. And either we get in the current and we go with God's flow and things tend to work a lot easier, or we get stuck in the eddies and we're mindlessly paddling ourselves and overexhausting ourselves just to try to get to the right place. And I've noticed in my life that when I'm sensitive to where this flow of God is moving in life, things just seem to be a little more effortless. There seems to be a little less effort required. Uh, and, and things, and things, maybe you've seen this in your life too, things just kind of seem to come together. The way that water from each bank comes together and forms the current in the middle, it just things start lining up. And... I'm a believer that God's way is not the hard way in life. That God's way is a lot like riding that current. We can sometimes make our lives harder. And Israel, as they're entering the promised land here, we see that they learn to follow God's current. Because when they do, things work out really well. They enter the promised land and they get part of the promised land. When they don't, well, they get hurt. And so this is where we are in Joshua. They just crossed the Jordan River. They're now in the land. And they come to the very first city. The very first test. The very first place for them to conquer. And this um, test is Jericho. So what we're going to see in Joshua 6 through 8 is they're going to come to the first city, Jericho, and how God leads them to overcome this city. They're going to follow the flow of God. Then they're going to come to the second city, I. It's spelled A-I. It's pronounced I. And they're going to not do so well. And then they're going to do well. And that's going to end chapter 6 through 8. So we're going to see two cities. We're going to see Israel follow God's flow and Israel fail to follow God's flow and then get back in the flow. So shall we look in Joshua chapter 6? Now Jericho. Jericho is shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. Jericho is shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. This is war mode. The armies of Israel are camped outside Jericho. 
What do you do? Oh, let's go frolic in the fields. Nope. You go inside. You shut the gate up. You're in defense mode. Now, Jericho was actually, archaeologically, we know now, that it wasn't actually a very big city. It's uh, maybe a few hundred people at most. And what archaeology also suggests is that there was no normal civilian life in Jericho. That Jericho is actually a military outpost. Right there on the edge of the Jordan River, it's one of the first defenses in the land of Canaan. So that if an army came in invading, Jericho is a military outpost to defend the land. So Israel's coming up to their very first test. This is not just a city of peaceful, innocent people waiting around, just minding their own business, and then they all get slaughtered. This is a military outpost. They know these people are coming, and they're ready to fight them. And so Israel has a really good test. These are trained defensemen, ready to defend their land. And Israel comes up to them. Now, we see that God says to them, as they're quivering in their sandals, looking up at this mighty military post of a few hundred soldiers, um, the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. I love that first line God gives to Joshua. I have given Jericho into your hand. You don't know this yet. You don't see it yet. You don't feel it yet. You're not experiencing it yet. But it's as good as yours. I have given it to you. And, and, and talking about the flow of God, this is a lot like how it is. If we are riding God's current, then there are destinations down this current that you will come to because the current takes you there. It's like God saying, hey, there is a rapid coming up and you will get to it. If I'm in the current of the river and I stay there, guess what's going to happen? I will get to it. And this is the way God works. He has things in motion. He has plans and he has things decided and he will get us to it if we are willing to go with his flow. I've given Jericho to your hand. Now, are you guys willing to march with me or not? Um, I used to... Um, there's a lot of things now that this, this thinking has kind of helped me just relax a lot in life about. I used to, um, well, let me tell you this. <laughs> just open the door here. Um, teaching on a weekly basis is very, very difficult to do. Um, because, you know, anybody can deliver like a really awesome message once in their life. Because you basically just draw on your entire life and throw all the best parts together, Right. It's a pretty good deal. Um, but when you're doing it every week, it's like, okay, we're going back to square one all over again. Redraw the whole thing. Uh, blank page every week. And that can get exhausting. Now, of course, I, I stressed a lot about that. And sometimes I still do. It's like, okay, it's Friday and I still have nothing in my head about this. And Saturday's a family day, so what am I going to do Sunday? I have no clue. Um, and sometimes that can be stressful. But what I've began to do in a lot of prayer and seeking God is I begin to believe this, this concept that might sound crazy to you, but that God has already given the sermon to me. And whatever it is for you, God has already given it to you. And that my job is not to sit down and stress out and apply all of my manpower to try to make something happen. It's to sit and open myself up to God and let it come to me. If I'm in his flow, I don't have to paddle ambitiously to get there. I have to let, I get to let him take me there. And man, that's, that's relaxed a lot because, um, you know, Last night was pretty, put a lot of effort into giving the seniors their last, like, farewell. And, like, I'm, like, I'm not even thinking about Sunday. I'm not even thinking about it. 
And but I God like gave me grace not to stress about it, probably because I knew I was gonna talk about this. And I'm like I'm like, Jericho's already given to me. What's up? Let's just do it. And and brothers and sisters, there is a universe of visions. There's a universe of dreams. There's a universe of callings and possibilities. And they're floating around us. Some of us are missing them because we are in the eddy trying to paddle ourselves to death. I just want to be used by God. I just want to do something special. Some of us are in the flow and these things are coming to us because we've learned the art of letting it come at God's speed. Are you open to what is going on in God's universe? Are, are you letting his love and his being flow into you? Or are you on the outside of that? What would happen if we believed that the Jericho that's on your next to-do list, what would happen if we believed that it's already given to us, we just need to open our eyes and realize where it is? Very freeing concept. And so Israel knows we're victorious. So Joshua can now tell them this. Verse 3. You shall take your swords and your spears and your tanks and your manpower and storm the gates of Jericho and obliterate it within minutes. That would be the lot. That's usually how people do things in life, isn't it? There it is. Let's go do it. My idea. My power. Instead, you have this really crazy idea. You shall march around the city. All the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. All right, so we're just going to take a walk through Jericho's park for six days? Very mighty of us. And then just to make it more vicious, verse 4, seven priests. Okay, now the nice priests are going to come along. (laughs) Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets, now we got music, of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Now, we have not had a single mention of military weapons yet. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, When you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. Still, there's nothing here but priests, trumpets, and your voice, and walking. The wall shall fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let the seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. This is crazy. So God's plan here, his his master plan, the first step into the promised land to take over the city is to get the priests in the middle with the Ark of God. Put some people in front and some people in back and trumpets. Now, they're likely carrying swords and whatever they're going to need to do their battle. But none of that is mentioned in the strategy. Joshua, I don't want you to worry about that at all. 
I just want you to walk around the city for six days. And on the seventh day, you're going to do it seven times. So this is fantastic stuff. Um, In verse 8, as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the Ark while the trumpets blew continually. So all you hear is the sound of trumpets the whole time, the whole time they're marching around the city. But Joshua commanded the people, verse 10, you shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So now they're they're walking in silence. They're not even uttering their voice, getting their opinion heard. We're just literally going with the flow. So we caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and then they came into the camp and spent the night in camp. Verse 12, Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priest took up the ark. And so you see day two, they do the same thing, and they did this for six days. Okay, so now I want you guys to imagine, what does this actually look like? Early one morning, the guards on the wall of Jericho look out. Sir, sir, the camp is stirring. All right, how many? Um, that's not the problem right now. What is? They're marching with priests and trumpets. They're going to do, what do they think they're going to do? Sing a musical and make us join them? I think so. Well, let me know if anything happens. Okay. Minutes later. Sir, they don't have any archers. That's interesting. Yeah. They don't have siege towers. What are they going to do? I don't know. What are they doing? They're walking. (laughs) Sir, can I take my lunch? (laughs) What are they doing? They're still walking around our city. Okay, day one was odd. They go to bed. Maybe day two will be the normal day. They wake up early in the morning. Sir, movement in the camp. What are they doing? Same thing. And now you're saying, hey, Peter, come watch this. Bob, get over here. You you see what they're doing? They're going to sing to us. Isn't this great? Day three. Now it's Peter, Bob, and Billy, and Martin. Hey, guys, come on. You got to see this. Day three. Now you've got Joe and Billy and Marta, and they're all... Day four. Now you've got half of the city watching on the wall. By day five, you've got the entire city. By day six, the commander has commanded everybody to see what's going on, and they're beginning to laugh at the Israelites. On day seven, the entire wall of Jericho is weakly holding up the entire city of bulky, fully clad, armored men... And they can't believe that they're not marching around for the seventh time only, but seven times this time. And they're so lulled into this mesmerizing hypnosis, if you will, <laughs> this march around, that when Jericho, when Israel, fi- when Joshua finally says, now, and everybody shouts, the people are so taken aback that they push off the wall, right? To get away from this freak episode. And the walls fall flat, and Israel marches in without firing a shot. Talk about letting the current take you. 
talk about letting it be that easy. And so they do. They go in. And they save, of course, you might remember Rahab. Rahab had um, a couple people living in her house, and they were going to be spared. And they were taken out safely to join Israel. Now, the seven days of marching bring up a couple of things. First, um, this is God's plan for the people of the promised land. It's not, oh, you dirty Canaanites, we're going to slaughter all of you. It's, this land needs to be dispossessed because these people are not running it well. I'm going to bring Israel. And they have seven days to consider joining us before we start the attack. Do people convert? Rahab's got a household full of people who've decided we want to join Israel. The rest, they had seven days. And they continued to keep the gates shut and said, nope, we don't want you. We don't want you. We're going to fight our ground. Another thing we see is that following the flow of God is not always the fanciest option you have. Now, if you had a general who came up to you, General A said, we are going to launch the greatest military campaign in history. I've got state-of-the-art helicopters, tanks, massive explosives, aircraft carriers. I can just touch a button on my phone and it will drop a bomb on the precise location I touched. You're like, wow, that's impressive. And then Commander B says, "Um, I have the weirdest military campaign ever. We are going to take a walk and blow trumpets and win. And you say, this guy knows what he's doing, and guy B does not know what he's doing. So there's a saying in the Lord of the Rings um, by Gandalf, the, the wise wizard. He says, all that is gold doesn't glisten or glitter. All that is gold doesn't glitter. The point being that the things that are valuable, the things that work, the things that are worth, they don't always glitter and flash and look like the best option. God has a flow in the universe, but it's not always where the lights are. It's not always where the fireworks are. It's not always where the powerful are. It's not always where the ambitious and the intelligent are. Sometimes his gold doesn't glitter. Sometimes it must be recognized simply by looking for the current, not by looking for what is in and current, if you know what I mean. And Joshua's plan Well, didn't necessarily sound all that inspiring, but man, was it easy. Man, did it just flow. So they're successful. But in chapter 7, some foreshadowing. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. Now, what God had asked them to do was not take a single item from Jericho. You guys are going to burn the city and leave everything. The gold you can take, but you're going to give it to the temple. Everything else must go. So, um, we see a problem. In chapter 7, verse 1, this was not completely obeyed. So, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, just so no one would forget the guy who was responsible for this, 
took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Okay, so this guy named Achan, he sees some of the loot in Jericho, and he pockets it. But nobody else knows. So Joshua, in verse 2, moves on like normal, like, oh, we got this thing. Did you guys see how easily we took Jericho? We got this. Let's go to Ai right now. Let's go. So in verse 2, he sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, in case you ever visit, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And when the men went up and spied out Ai, uh, they went out and spied Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, don't have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack I. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 went up from there, and the people, and they fled before the men of I. And the men of I killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Wait, what just happened? They literally just, without breaking a sweat, took down Jericho. They go to Ai, all ambitious, and they get beaten. And this, by the way, is the first time, the only time you see in the book of Joshua where Israelites die in battle. 36 are killed. They are soundly defeated. And Joshua is devastated in verse 6. Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And he cries out to the Lord, why has this happened? And God tells Joshua, dude, come on. Somebody in the camp has sinned. That's why this has happened. So in verse 10, that's what God tells him. And they begin to call all the people together. So in verse 16, Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe. And the tribe of Judah was taken and he brought near the clans of Judah and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. Can you imagine you're Achan and you know that you were, you were the guy that sinned and Joshua is like, you're like, let's see if you can figure this out. And Joshua is eliminating this tribe, this clan, this family, this father, and like Achan's going to, this is getting really uncomfortably close. And then finally Achan's name is called. And Achan is called out, what did you do? So Joshua said, verse 19, to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done and do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them and see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua investigates. Sure enough, it's there and Achan is dealt with. So they lose the flow. They're out of God's flow with the city of Ai. Why? 
we don't see much about what happens. Just we go, we check it out. We can do this with a few men. Let's just go right on up and march against it. They basically do what your typical thought would be to do. Hey, we can figure out how to do this. Let's go spy it out. And we can just take a frontal attack. We've got this. These guys are weaklings. We already surveyed them. So they do the frontal attack, just a direct attack, and they're beaten soundly. They did not seek the flow of God here. They just thought, you know what? Let's just, let's just do this. This is an easy one. Jericho is easy. But what we're seeing is in chapter 8, we finally see that Joshua seeks God's flow here. Where are you moving? How shall we move with you? And it looks very differently than what they did the first time. So in chapter 8, verse 1, we see this. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise, go up to Ai. See, I've given it into your hand. The king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. And you shall do to Ai as its king and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only the spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. Ah, this time they're not going to march directly to it. The river is going to take a little bend. And that's where the flow is going. It's going to be an ambush. Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 men of valor and sent them out by night, and he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready, and I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and when they come out against us just as before, we shall flee before them, and they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city." For they will say, ha, they're fleeing from us just as before. So we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city. For the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out and they went out to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night among the people. So guys, here's our plan. We're going to do it just like last time. So they're going to think we're really dumb and they're going to beat us up again. We're going to march straight up to the gate and say, here we are. And then we're going to pretend like they're beating us. So we're going to run away. And when they chase us in their vain confidence saying, haha, we got them just like last time. They're all going to come after us and finish us off. The city will be left open and the ambush team hiding over there behind the trees or whatever. They're going to come in and take it. Piece of cake. And does it work that way? like a charm. It works perfectly, just as Joshua plans. The people of Ai come out after them. The Israelites run. They chase them. The city's left wide open. And the people of the ambush just walk on in, taking pictures and selfies on the way because there's no pressure, and they set the city on fire. Why? Because now they're in the flow. Now they are following God's current um, look at verse 17. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after the pretending to be defeated, defeated Israelites. And they left the city open and pursued Israel. They just let, they didn't even bother to shut the gate. Brothers and sisters, God can open these doors wide open for us when we simply move at the speed of his current. 
We just go with his flow, not paddling too hard, not hiding out and dying out in the eddies, but we just ride the river. Doesn't always mean your life's going to work perfectly. There are rapids, which means there'll be times you're a little nervous. You might get bumped a little bit because there are people in the world after all. But you're going to survive them. And at the end of every rapid, everyone says, oh, that was fun. We made it. This is what it's like to go with God's flow. But the danger for us and the danger for them is Achan, isn't it? The one who says, ah, but I like the stuff. I want to keep this. What I've discovered as I've been thinking about how the flow and the current of God works and rolling with it, is that it works best when I don't attach myself to various things. We are people who love to attach ourselves to things, things that make us feel secure, things that make us feel important. But when I learn to detach myself from these things, I find that I'm freer For example, the love of God is flowing into us all the time. Some of us haven't even opened ourselves up to it, but some of us have, and that river is moving into us. That river also wants to move out of us and carry our lives into the lives of other people. And like water, how it always seeks the lowest place, God's love will keep moving through us and seeking the people that need it most. We just follow the current. It will take us to these people. It will bring us to the right place at the right time if I'm willing to let it flow through. But see, when I'm grabbing tightly to things and I've got my fist around this because this makes me feel secure or this, I love this, I am dependent on this, then the flow stops with me. It stops right here because I am not open. I'm not letting it go. My attachment to identities, to people, to things, to feelings, to substances, my attachment issues dams the flow of God. It holds it back. It bottles it in. And when I can learn to let go of these things and detach myself and to stand free and surrendered with only the flow of God in my life, it will flow powerfully. And that which I need to do, or that which I am dreaming and desiring, will fall on its own accord, like the walls of Jericho. I love how I just said it just fell on its own. And the city of Ai, where I once, this was my fear, this was my nemesis, this was where I failed miserably. That was because before, I had attachment issues I was holding on to that cloak of Shinar, that gold bar, those shekels of silver. But now that I've let go, the ambush is perfectly laid. And I wonder what it is with you and with me. What are those things that we are clinging to so tightly? Just clinging to them. Saying, I can't live without this. If people knew this about me, I would be ruined. That's clinging to a false identity, right? Sometimes we can love people too much, which is, let me clarify that. 
you can love people in a way that you're not actually loving them because you're clinging on to them and you can't imagine life without um, C.S. Lewis talks about like how you can just love someone for your own sake and now it's becoming oppressive and you're smothering them and you get resentful when they don't notice everything you've done for them that's being attached because true love is a self-emptying experience. It's God filling us and being emptied out through us. This is exactly what Jesus does. He comes with the fullness of God, and then he comes and he's always emptying himself. Philippians 2 verse 5 tells us that he made himself nothing, emptying himself, taking on the form of a servant, and going even to the death of the cross. Always, he was the channel of the river of God. It was flowing into and then through him to every need and person he saw around him, and never with any sort of attachment. Never was Jesus personally offended because people rejected what he was doing for them. And when you get offended, there's some attachment issues. Because something you're holding on to, they didn't like, and now you're offended. Or they're not noticing what you're doing for them. That offense, you're, you're not letting a self-emptying flow of God go through you. And, and sometimes, sometimes what we're trying to do instead is self-denial. I, I don't do any of these things. Keep, keep this way away from me and keep that out. And, and the idea is to kind of, it's to have this negative view. Push everything out from you. What God really wants to do is say, don't, don't, don't deny yourself. Don't be a big no person. Just be a self-emptying person. It's you he wants to share with the world. It's you he wants to use. It's you he wants to flow through. Um. I wonder what it is if we all looked inside of our tents, what we have buried there. (laughs) What are we holding on to? What is the sin of Achan in your life? What is the thing you're too attached to? Have you felt like you're in that flow and current? Or things just a constant battle, almost like you're trying to row upstream or like you're on the edge of the river and you're yanking the boat out and you're saying, ah, let's just walk over there. There were two monks who, of course, took the vow of celibacy and they were on a journey together and their vow was so intense that their vow is basically to not even touch someone from the opposite gender. And on their travel, these two monks came to a river. And there they saw at the river a woman who clearly wanted to get to the other side, but couldn't swim. The first monk just grabbed her, carried her over his shoulder, and crossed the river. And when they got to the other side, he set her down and went on. Two hours later, as they continue to walk, it's very clear that the second monk is fuming. He's upset. And finally he bursts out. How could you break your vow? What does it mean nothing to you that you made vows and you just picked that woman up like she was nothing to you? To which the first monk simply replied, Brother, 
I simply picked her up and set her down. You are still carrying her. And I wonder, you know, things come, things happen to us. Things that maybe you weren't rooting for or didn't want to happen. But see, this is what attachment looks like. The kind of attachment that keeps you out of the flow of God is you're still holding on to that and saying, I can't believe that happened or that that person did that or I'm offended or I really like this thing too much or I'm too dependent upon these ideas or identities or substances. And you see other people that just kind of flow through life like it's nothing. The idea is to just... Hey, everything belongs. Everything happens to us for a reason. You may not have all the answers, but to learn to just pick up and let go. This season's in my life, pick up. Now it's not. Let go. But I used to be so cool. You don't understand. I used to be on the top and now nobody acknowledges me. And Whoa, whoa, dude. Attachment issues. You're in a new season. Are you going to accept that? No, 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 but I was the best at my job. I should have got the promotion. They got it because I don't, they have a better tie than me or something. How long ago did that happen? 12 years? Dude, you are still getting defeated by the city of I. What are we holding on to? What are we clinging to? Where are we refusing to just let the river continue to take? No, I really like that rapid. I want to stay and eat a picnic on that rock right there. Dude, the river's moving. But see, then we get bitter, and then we feel like we're not doing anything. And then we know, I'm not living in the promised land, and you're so aware of that. Well, maybe because you haven't simply detached. There's something that is clinging to you like a leech. The flow of God keeps moving, and only those who can let go are going to keep going with it. I want to see you guys conquer Jericho. I want to see you conquer I. I want to see the promised land, that thing that God has called you to be on this earth for. I want to see that happening. And I want to see the joy in your faces as you go from city to city saying, man, like God said, everywhere the place that my foot touches is already given to me. He's already given I to me. He's already given Jericho to me. This is fun. That's what I want to see. Not these Christians who are like, oh, it's so horrible, all the things I have to deny myself of, and why is life good for them? And I hear that all the time. Why can't it be fun going down the river? Because God is the one who's making it move. And man, it is fun when you know that. It's miserable when you see that other boat taking on too much water because they're attached to a rock that they can't get off of because they try to paddle too hard. That's not fun. That's not fun at all. So, friends, let us detach and let us just go with God's flow. And we will see one city after another give way and open its gates to us. Let's pray.